You're listening to the Sports Scramble Podcast, where four friends serve up a weekly plate of sports with a side of SEC bias. Now, here are your hosts, Chet, Jacob, Wade, and Tyler. And hello, everybody. It is deja vu once again. I said last week that we were going to have our loyal host back, but something bug is going around <laughs> the United States and it's hit our lovely co-host. So the two chefs are in the house once again, Wade and Tyler bringing you back a weekly plate of sports. So Wade, how are you doing? I know you also had a busy weekend yourself. I did. I um, had a little bit of an SEC road trip, if you will. Um, on our route to Eastern East Tennessee State University, where my sister graduated from this past Saturday. But we stopped in Knoxville and saw Neyland Stadium. And then on the way back, we stopped at, uh, in Tuscaloosa at the Rivals um, to see Alabama. So um, pretty cool to incorporate two sports stops along the way. If it was up to me, we also would have stopped in Atlanta and gone to the Braves matinee game at 11 a.m. But that would have been a pretty long day on the road and a very tough thing to do with the Boston Terrier. So, um, alas, we did not. <laughs> yeah, the only road trip uh, that I had, we had a fun one. Uh, Jacob and I, he was like, he on Thursday, he was like, oh, you know, let's go play some golf. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since the whack. Why not uh, try to continue and improve our golf game? So, he was like, all right, let's go ahead uh, and meet uh, in the middle. We decided to go with English Turn. Uh, there was a lot of good reviews on this place. It's a, it's a Jack Nicholas course, and we literally get to the course. This was nothing that I, I ever experienced. We literally get out of our cars, and there's already a cart waiting for us. I was like, what the uh-huh. heck? We didn't have this treatment, you know, at Santa Maria that, that, and, or Beaver Creek. And I was like, all right, this is starting to look like a five-star review because there was, like, a lot of five-star reviews on Google as well. So, he just brought us the car. We went in, checked in, uh, paid for our golf and adventure. Uh, it was a three o'clock uh, tea time, so we got the twilight deal. It was about sixty-four bucks uh, for a round of eighteen. Usually, if it's like it has like a resident price, it was like sixty-nine bucks uh, for a resident price. If you're not a resident, it was like a hundred. So we were definitely grateful uh, for the twilight, but literally, this is where it got better. We have this guy, the starter. His name is James, and James uh, was a terrific for us. You know, he was just explaining to us, you know, since we were first time, uh, you know, and he was going on and on and on, and he was talking about these crows. Like, there's all these crows everywhere on the course. Like, yeah, you got to watch out. You know, they can come nab your, your phone, your wallet, so keep that. So Jacob and I was like, all right, we're not taking any chances. We're putting all of our loose items. And guess what happens? Literally, whenever we were driving down on the first hole, this crow comes out of nowhere and steals our scorecard and puts what? it literally in the top of the tree. Oh, so my we goodness. Literally, so we were literally – I had to, like, run over to the tree because the crow went over to some other hole. So I was like, all right, this is my opportunity to get our scorecard <laughs> back. So hey, the there, crow knows. The crow knows yeah. that they hang out at the rich golf course, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, hopefully <laughs> – if you go to English turn, just beware of the demon crows because they'll steal anything of that. But other than that, it was a very good golf course. I think that we're definitely going to be going back. The hospitality was great. The customer service was through the roof. There's only water on every hole. Good thing everything, uh, you know, whenever I have to play my shank or whatever the fade it is, it's going right. So all the water 
is placed on the left. And there was this one hole, hole 15, which is an island green. It's a par five, though. So you have to get like 300 yards oh, before it, it, it even comes in play. So uh, I was able to get it over. Uh, it took maybe a mulligan or two to get over. Uh, it, you know, had some splash down. Uh, but, yeah, all in all, it was a very good outing. And if you want to see two of our good golf shots, uh, I put two YouTube shorts uh, on our channel. If you want to go ahead and subscribe, we got all of the great sports content, whether that's sports in general, LSU sports as well with Bayou Bingo Bites. Definitely hit a subscribe. You don't want to miss the weekly plate of sports that we'll be serving up. But, yeah, other than that, it was a very good outing, and then I'm sure uh, that we'll be uh, going somewhere and venturing off uh, to the next golf course. But from the golf course to the diamond, let's talk about some SEC baseball. And, boy, it was a crazy weekend in the SEC. If you went on the road, then you were not safe unless you were Arkansas. Arkansas got the sweep over Mississippi State, and we'll talk about those two teams in a minute. But let's talk about the then number one overall team in the land, not number one anymore, as Wake Forest is now the number one team. I'm guessing B-Real is going off the way that Wade is, is uh, picturing his phone <laughs> to the screen. Uh, so it's free if, advertising. Uh, on if you're on B-Real uh, at this time, uh, definitely uh, snap that, that pick uh, in front of us. Uh, but LSU drops their first series of the year. It took this long. It took seven weekends. Uh, Auburn, you know, was a very hot team. We were talking about them last week, getting two out of three against the number three overall team, the South Carolina Gamecocks. And then this week, they do the same thing. Now, this was a weekend of what is for LSU, but you got to tip your cap uh, if, to Auburn. I mean, they're just one of the hottest teams in the country. And I think that if they can continue this, you know, they play at Ole Miss uh, this weekend. If they get two or three, maybe even a sweep, and they can definitely get to that threshold of being that top 16 uh, national C. But let's go on to LSU side before we focus on Auburn's side. Uh, so LSU uh, in game number one, Paul Skeens does Paul Skeens things. Once again, he was the SEC pitcher of the week. So congratulations uh, to the former Air Force Academy cadet. Uh, he threw 14 strikeouts this weekend. Uh, Trey Morgan got the offense going with a two-run home run in the first. And then after that, the offense uh, on Saturday, they had their chances. Uh, you know, Ty Floyd was throwing marvelous baseball. You know, he threw nine strikeouts. And then they had all this debacle about who got thrown out. You know, was it the, the you know, the video scout guy? Was it Josh Jordan? In the end, it was Josh Jordan who did get thrown out. Don't know the reason why. I'm guessing we'll never know that. Uh, but LSU had multiple times uh, with the bases loaded uh, to get across some runs. But Auburn was able to do that. And then on Sunday, Christian Little just didn't have his stuff. Uh, six walks uh, in that inning, and he got out of that first inning as well. Uh, they had to bring in like three pitchers in an inning. Auburn got up six, uh, six to one. And after that, Auburn just really sealed the deal. Uh, so Auburn's offense was definitely the picture in this one. But you got to give credit also to Auburn's pitching uh, for how they settled down against this high-powered LSU offense. Uh, so. I know that there's a lot of panic in Baton Rouge uh, today. You know, this is the first SEC series drop. Everyone's questioning the pitching after Paul Skeens. Uh, so what are your thoughts on, on the pitching after Paul Skeens? And it's going to be concerned heading into postseason. It's definitely concerning to me. I mean, I, I just feel like we're in this situation every every year as LSU baseball fans. Um, this year they did a really good job of recruiting some strong high school talent and getting some transfer portal arms, which I thought might be the solution because those guys are used to pitching the longer college season, 
and um, you know maybe there wouldn't be as much wear and tear on the pitching staff like we've seen in years past. But some of these high-profile transfers like Thatcher Hurd and Christian Little just haven't really panned out to the level um, that us LSU fans would would have hoped. But I think that Thatcher Hurd is starting to kind of turn the corner, albeit not in a starting role. He's more of a back into the bullpen kind of guy. Uh, Christian Little, he's a guy who LSU just needs to get on track. I mean, he looks completely lost at the moment, didn't even get an out uh, this past weekend. So kind of a rough go for him. Um, I just think if LSU wants to be, you know, the top team or even a top five team, somebody's got to step up and be that that third guy on Sunday. And Ty Floyd's got to elevate his game as well. Yeah. Um, he needs to definitely be a consistent number two because if there's a lot of uncertainty at that number three spot, we, we have to have him uh, really take ownership of that number two spot. And it'll just be interesting to see who it is. Um, I know there's a few names floating around out there, but um, I think that is critical for LSU making a run. Yeah, I definitely agree because if you're going to win in Omaha, you can't just have one starting pitcher. I mean, Ty Floyd's going to have to to settle in. He's got the stuff. You know, he showed on Saturday, he, four through through three and a half innings, he looked untouchable. You know, like I strikeouts, Auburn was swinging and missing. And pretty much every pitch he was cruising, he was starting to settle in. And that, that you know, debacle happened. Uh, you know, that's not no excuse. I mean, you got to be consistent every week, every week. I mean, last week, you mentioned, I, I told this to my dad, like, at Ty Floyd at home versus Ty Floyd on the road is just so inconsistent. I mean, on the road, look, that old Miss start, he went eight innings. This one, he was looking good, and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off. So you just got to be consistent. And like you mentioned, it was, uh, well, are we going to see Thatcher Hurd uh, starting to turn the corner? We've seen him in back-to-back outings. Uh, in the midweek, he looked good against Southeastern. And then this week, coming out of the bullpen on Friday – uh, to close the deal on Friday night. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of tinkering. I feel like that Sunday roll is definitely now up for grab. I was Jay Johnson. I would definitely go away from Christian Little. Just put him back in the bullpen and see if he can be a reliable guy. Because you do have reliable guys in the bullpen right now. Javen Coleman is one of your guys. Uh, Griffin Herring has some struggles this weekend, uh, but he's a freshman. And you also have uh, Gavin Gidry as well uh, but LSU will now face off against Mississippi State to close out their home SEC regular season and Auburn will travel to Ole Miss uh, to continue their road uh, to the postseason they're probably going to be locked in especially beating two uh, of the top teams in the country they're definitely a lock I think that Auburn is a team that you definitely don't want to see in your regional I think the numbers on the pitching staff is is really inflated to them I think that they're settling in they're playing at the right time I think that Auburn not only is going to make some noise in Hoover, but it would not shock me if this Auburn team sneaks in into Omaha. They've really been consistent. They made it last year under Butch Johnson. I think that he's one of the, the most underrated SEC managers uh, in the SEC. So got to give credit uh, to Auburn this week. Two really good back-to-back wins over two quality opponents. That's definitely going to help the resume whenever it comes to Memorial Day Weekend. So, all right, let's go on now to Auburn to Alabama now. Now, there was some news coming out of Alabama that seems like this Alabama team, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball, they can't stay out the news. <laughs> Alabama had to fire their ho- head coach amid betting. 
We're seeing Iowa and Iowa State today. I saw them, they're doing an investigation on them. So what the heck is going on? I mean, you see it in the NFL with uh, this season with some of the Lions players we saw with Kevin Rivley. Like, what are we going to have to do to make this stop? Uh, I think that's just part of the the deal. And whenever that uh, envelope was opened, you know, people are going to want to bet, you know, from all different backgrounds, whether they're fans hopefully not participants, hopefully not coaches. But, you know, I, I think that when the platform is there, people find a way to get involved. Now, if it's true that Bohannon was point shaving against his own team, I mean, that's just despicable. Um, I think as a head coach, there's no reason to place a bet on either side, but especially if you're betting against your team and making moves that promote your team, um, to, to do badly. I think that that's just really bad and he'll never be able to come back from that if that is true. But um, hopefully for Alabama's sake and for his sake, it's not because those guys have had a, a pretty good year um, and they don't deserve to have their legacy as players tainted. And um, hopefully nobody's career was stunted by a coach that didn't have their best interest at, at heart. Uh, I was actually passing through Tuscaloosa when this news broke. So we got a little bit of the local scoop at, uh, Milo's hamburgers and Tuscaloosa and there were some angry Alabama fans uh you know just kind of trying to gather the facts <laughs> there you go he got uh, some local reaction uh, to the news but yeah. yeah he pretty much screwed his team out of potentially winning that series because if you go back uh we talked about on last week's show I mean Bama got swept but Alabama really put LSU in a bind right there all those games that were close uh you know in the first Two games, uh, Alabama's offense uh, came to life. You know, Alabama got up five runs and then four runs on Sunday. Uh, so I knew it was fishy. You know, he pitched backwards. Uh, you know, Alabama on Friday, game number one, they usually pitched their ace, but they didn't. And now it all makes sense. Alabama's own head coach was betting against them, against the number one team in the country. Uh, but uh, but got to give credit, though, Alabama, even amidst that, what do they do? They take the series at home against number five, Vanderbilt. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, this Alabama team, amidst all this, they're still in the hunt uh, for the postseason. They have 11 conference wins uh, in the SEC, and there's still some work to do. Usually the mark is you got to get to at least 14 SEC wins uh, to get to postseason play, but I think that they're slowly building their resume as well. You would have liked them to win at least one in Baton Rouge to get to 12 before you have two final SEC series. But I think that this Alabama team, they make the postseason, even with all this going on, now that you have a clean slate, you don't have a guy betting against your team. You actually have a guy that's going to buy in. You have the pitching coach and term head coach. So I think this Alabama team, like I mentioned, they, they're they a veteran ball club. They showed it this week that they're pitching, uh, especially their closer, uh, the really dominant pitching staff. Uh, so I think that – a Vanderbilt team uh, is very in trouble. This is two back-to-back series losses. I do think that Vanderbilt has a tough end to the season. They're 17-7 in conference play and just holding on a thread to that number one seed and getting to the SEC tournament. So, But some teams on the bottom side of making it to the SEC tournament is Mississippi State and Ole Miss. These are the two back-to-back national champions. Mississippi State, like I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, got swept by Arkansas and Ole Miss continue their struggles to Missouri. And if you watch Sunday's game, it was 20 to 14. Usually we see that on the football field, but 20 to 14 on the diamond, there was a lot of home runs. Uh, yeah. So 
Mississippi State, uh, like I mentioned, uh, has to go on the road to face uh, LSU, and Ole Miss has to play the team that just beat top two uh, top two teams, both South Carolina and also LSU as well. Uh, so, looking at the race for Hoover, you have Missouri at seven and seventeen in conference, Ole Miss and Mississippi State at six and eighteen. So, when it's all said and done, what two teams that will ultimately miss Hoover, in your opinion? Uh, I don't think it's looking good for the Mississippi schools. I is which one's at 13 and which one's at 14th? And how many um, games? I think the head to head wise, uh, Mississippi State since they won the series and they have the same record. Yeah, they have six, six and 18 in, in conference play. Well, with the, with Mississippi State having to come play an angry LSU team that ideally figures out their pitching and takes at least two of the three, which I'm pretty confident LSU can, I think that. Mississippi State will probably end up finishing dead last. Um, Ole Miss, to me, there's still a lot of talent on that roster. This was a preseason top 10 team, so you got to think that they could maybe find some life down the stretch and, uh, you know, maybe split the remainder of their games. I think Mississippi State's still a young bunch, and uh, next year would be a better year for them to contend, but neither one. I don't know if not either one makes it to Hoover, um, but I think Mississippi State does finish dead last. Missouri, I think they're just going to eke in there at the 12 seed. I, I don't know why. I just feel like I've seen that team play, and I'm kind of surprised they only have seven or eight conference wins. I mean, that was a team that started the season uh, sweeping Tennessee, and here they are yeah. fighting for their lives uh, in Hoover. Uh, but I think that Missouri ultimately will get in, especially since they have the head-to-head. And I think that Mississippi State Ole Miss – are just facing uh, two really hot teams. Like you mentioned, Mississippi State has to go to the box to face a pissed-off LSU team. And Ole Miss hosts Auburn, which is a very hot team. Uh, we'll see if they can keep the bats going. I feel like if they can get to 20 runs like they did in that game three, uh, they could definitely win that one. Uh, but Hunter, having Hunter Elliott out for the season has definitely hurt that team. Mississippi State's pitching is just abysmal. I mean, they can't find a, a guy uh, to stop a team from scoring 10 runs a game. Uh, so that continued this weekend as Arkansas piled it on the offense. Uh, other notable SEC series uh, this weekend, you had Georgia taking two out of three uh, at Athens against uh, a red-hot Tennessee team. You had Kentucky sweeping South Carolina. I don't know what's going on in Columbia. That was a team that we were talking about very highly on, and South Carolina is starting to – to go from a top eight national seed to now being only being a top 16 seed, which you host a regional, but you have to go on the road to a super regional. That's not what they want. And then we also have another one. Texas A&M took two out of three against Florida. So life on the road wasn't easy. So out of all those three, uh, which one stood out to you the most? I think South Carolina just losing back-to-back series. Is it back-to-back sweeps? I think so. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they actually uh, they lost uh, two out of three to Auburn at home, and then they went on the road this weekend and got swept by Kentucky. Kentucky was the team that lost four straight SEC series as well. Yeah, I think Kentucky was a team that was trending in the wrong direction, but um, definitely a pesky bunch, and they're a team that can make some noise in, in Hoover. I think South Carolina is going to be okay. I think they'll rebound over the final two regular season series, um, but I do think that they will uh, continue their struggles at Hoover. Historically, South Carolina does not do very well at Hoover, and I I think you're right. That's going to leave them right on the border of a national seed versus maybe being number nine or number ten. Uh, but I, I I think if 
they are able to win their next two series and win a game in Hoover. The resume is there to me for what they did on the season. Um, I, I think that they'll pencil themselves in as the number seven or number eight national seed. But um, of course, you have to take care of business in your regional, but that would set up a very hard matchup, you know, against a team like Wake Forest, LSU, Arkansas, you know, a team like that. Yeah, definitely think out of those three, I would have to agree with you. I, I did not see this Kentucky team uh, sweeping South Carolina. Uh, and it's not going to get any easier for South Carolina as well. They got to go on the road to an Arkansas team that is playing red hot as well. I mean, if you look at the standings right now in the West, you have LSU and Arkansas at 17 and 7. And that's going to come down to the wire as well. You know, I, I think that if Arkansas takes two out of three or sweep South Carolina, that's definitely shapes them up as well. But if they only win one of those games while LSU takes on Mississippi State, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Mississippi State could take two out of three. It's just the, the beauty of the SEC. It's pretty much like football. Any team can beat you on any given week, and you saw this week. And every team that went on the road pretty much lost, except for those uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. But, yeah, the run to Hoover is definitely going to be an exciting one, and we'll definitely uh, continue – to watch SEC baseball. Like I mentioned, Wake Forest is now the number one team in the land after they beat uh, Boston College. That was a top 15 team coming into the, the weekend. Wake Forest is now number one, uh, and LSU is now number two. And the history has been the number one seed overall hasn't won the national championship since 1999. Uh, so if you're an LSU fan, I would rather have the number two seed and stay away uh, from that. <laughs> As long that, as it uh, doesn't line you up against an SEC school yeah. in the Super Regional, I'll take it. I mean, I would I would test my luck anywhere else. You know, having yeah. to play an SEC team um, in the Super Regional, I mean, it, it's just like you said, any team can win any weekend. To me, it would play just like a, a regular season um, kind of matchup. Yeah, I saw a projection uh, today, actually. Uh, LSU was a two seed. They had uh, Texas State, uh, UTSA was pretty much their formidable two and threes. And they were paired up with the Coral Gables, the regional that would be Miami. The teams that I noticed in that, uh, Alabama was in that as well. So, so maybe we'll see another Alabama-LSU uh, super regional. And they also had uh, another team as well. I think that Southern Miss was also in that regional as well. So we could also sort of rematch Ooh, there as tough. well. So that would definitely – Sunbelt's uh, a tough conference too. Yeah, Sunbelt has been strong. Uh, we saw Coastal Carolina get a big series victory over Appalachian State. Uh, Southern Miss is continuing to roll. So, yeah, I would not want to have any trusts or any Sunbelt teams uh, in my regional at all, especially if you're one of these SEC teams. But our college baseball talk was presented by our friends over at Mahler Bros Golf. We all want to look good on the golf course, but often comes at the expense of feeling good. Mahler Bros Golf has polos that look good and feel good. With their lightweight and stretching material that hugs your body, you will feel cool while looking just as cool. Their polos are guaranteed to make you look better, but it's up to you to golf better. On a hot summer day on the golf course, there's no polo that you would rather wear than Mahler Bros Signature Golf Polos. Mahler Bros Golf has a large catalog of polos with designs for those who want a loud design and others for those that want a subtle and sleek looking design. They also have fun t-shirts, hats, tumblers, and so much more to make your golfing experience better. Use code BELLYUP, that's all uppercase, B-E-L-L-Y-U-P at MahlerBros.com. That is M-H-M-A-H-M. L-E-R-B-R-O-S dot com for 15% off your purchase. All right, from the diamond, let's go on to who got that dog in it. 
segment of who got that dog in him. Wade, kick it off. All right. Well, you know me. I'm always going MLB probably until August. So it's in season. I'm going to go with uh, Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, he's just all around a, a phenomenal baseball player. Primarily was a right fielder for, I don't know, the his whole entire career. But all of a sudden this year, there's a need at second base. So he moves to second base and is playing at an all-star level there. And then with the bat, I mean, the guys just clutch. Uh, they were down to their final out last night against the San Diego Padres on Sunday night baseball. And lo and behold, he puts one in seats to tie it up um, against Josh Hader, who's probably the best closer in baseball. So that was just a plus on plus matchup and he won it. Um, And the reason why I'm putting it on the who got that dog in him segment is the San Diego Padres put some graphics up on the, the video board before the game or after the game. Um, earlier in the series of Clayton Kershaw crying as like a meme and, uh, you know, Mookie Betts and the Dodgers got the last laugh as they took the series two out of three from the Padres on the road. And uh, slowly but surely, you know, you kind of see this Dodgers team reasserting their dominance in that division. I think that the Padres probably have the more talented roster, but, you know, with guys like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, you just can't count out the Dodgers. Yeah, that's going to be a fun uh, matchup to watch between the Dodgers and the Padres as the season goes on. And the banter as well, you know, some ESPN announced that they were doing an a in-game interview with Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts hit a home run. And one of the guys, uh, Eduardo Perez, was like, that's that's what a real superstar looks like. That is not something that I would ever yeah. want to say on live. That's and crazy. they also had fans in the stands. They had this giant uh, – it was like a giant poster, I think. It said, like, Mookie Betts eats corn the long way. So I was like, all those fans are just going <laughs> after this man after he just hit a home run. Uh, so that's the and beauty Water of Perez it. got that dog in him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as well. And also the people with, with the sign. That's definitely, it's definitely ballsy. Uh, but I'm going to go back to college baseball for who got that dog in him. I'm going to go with Calvin Harris, Ole Miss. I know that it hasn't been the season for the reigning national chance. But he had four home runs against Missouri in that 20 to 14 game and he had That's three great. of them in his first three at bats and i was hoping that he would go four for four but he had a single and then he came back and hit a home run uh, to finish <laughs> off that four for four biggie bag cycle of that home run so calvin harris not the rapper it's the baseball player that Ole miss so don't get confused <laughs> when we put out this who got the dog in a poll it's calvin harris from Ole hey miss. that might get more attention to the to the poll <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that is who got that dog in him. I'll definitely text Chet once again and see uh, who he has as his dog of the week for this week's poll that we'll have on Wednesday or Thursday probably comes out every week. So if you want to vote, uh, follow us at Sports Scramble 4 and you can, you know, interact with us uh, with who got that dog. And if you want to put your comments as well, we like to have the interaction as well. So Let's go on now to college football. I know it's still early. We're in May, and we still got a couple months. It's never too early to start looking at the 2023 season. But we do have some news before we look into the 2023 season as a whole, specifically in SEC. I mean, we're two hosts of SEC talk. There's going to be a little bit of SEC pizzazz in this. So for the first one, Oklahoma, Texas, I know that we've talked about this multiple times on the show, and you're like, we're sick of this. But – it's official. Oklahoma and Texas have officially reached deals with the Big 12 for the 2024 move. 
to the SEC. It's just a matter of time. It's probably going to be the summer that we find out who's going to play who. You know, we got the, you know, the three, three, playing those three rivals and also getting one more as well. Uh, so Oklahoma and Texas uh, will have one more year in the new Big 12. We have Cincinnati, UCF, BYU uh, in the new Big 12. Uh, so those uh, couple of teams will be able to play Oklahoma and Texas for at least one more year. And then the Longhorns and the Sooners uh, will head down south uh, and get ready for the big boy leagues and see if they can compete. I know that Oklahoma – uh, they're definitely going to bring it in the women's sports. You know, they're a powerhouse of both softball and gymnastics, consistent in football. Basketball team, you know, is consistent as well. Texas is also going to bring a lot of revenue as well. They have the Longhorn Network. Uh, we'll see if that stays around, if they're going to, you know, just cut ties with it. I don't know if the SEC is going to do any of that. Uh, but I'm not really going to ask you any of your thoughts uh, because we really spoke on this. Uh, but I just wanted to get this news out there to our viewers that is now official that Oklahoma and Texas are now joining the SEC. Uh, so I'm definitely excited for that as well. And then we'll start seeing the flip from the SEC on CBS to SEC officially on ESPN. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts in 2024. And not only is that going to happen in 2024, the college football playoff expansion is going to start happening that year. And we found out uh, a couple of days ago the 12-team format schedule is now set for the 2024 and 2025 season. So for the 2024 season, what's going to happen is the first round games will be played on campus side, which I love. I've been saying this for multiple years. It would just be insane. Like if it was this year, I saw like Ohio State would have hosted Penn State. Like who wouldn't love that? I mean, USC would have traveled to Alabama. You know, Kayla Williams at high-powered offense going up against Bryce Young. That's something that you love to see. And that's how you get the revenue at these stadiums as well. So that's going to be slated. So that would start with one game on Friday, December 20th. So that would pretty much be the start of the bowl season. Right now, the start of the bowl season this year, say it was December 16th and went all the way to the national championship. So then you'll have three more games that will be played on campuses Saturday, December 21st. And the quarterfinals are scheduled to be held at the bowl sites on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So that doesn't change. It's just the first round sites on the campus sites as well. So the Fiesta Bowl will be played on Tuesday, December 31st. And the rest of the remaining ones will be on January 1st. And if the schedule keeps on going. The 2024 semifinals are going to be on January 9th at the Orange Bowl and January 10th at the Cotton Bowl as well. They have 2025, but that's too far in advance. We're going to look at 2024. So I know that you're probably also a big proponent as well. I know that there's a lot of people that don't want it. But if you don't want it, you're just stupid and you hate college football. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's a majority a good thing for sure. I, I like the idea of expanding it, but also bringing the game to the campus sites. I think that most of the other – uh, collegiate tournaments do start at the campus sites. I think it's always fun to watch baseball uh, pan out like that. I would, I wish March Madness would go to a similar format for the first round. Um, so yeah, kudos to the the playoff committee for getting this correct. I don't necessarily agree with all the qualifying reasons to get there. Um, and I think there's work to be done on the regular season schedule. I think that kind of mandating nine conference games across all the leagues should be the move. I think getting rid of FCS games should happen. But um, all that aside, I'm excited that it lines up with the 
joining of um, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. So we're going to see a whole new college football model. Uh, this year is going to be kind of a transition year, and then we're going to hit 2024 strong. So I'm excited. LSU should be in really good shape then as well. Nick Saban should be retiring because he doesn't want to deal with the new age college football. So this is all good. And then Dabo Sweeney will just kind of start to buy into NIL when he realizes that, hey, I can go seven and five in the ACC if I don't start paying these guys. <laughs> yeah, what I like about it is it's now the the top four seeds are pretty much your conference champion. So it's not going to be any of that. You know, we saw in 2018 with Georgia and Alabama both making it in. And then we saw it back in the BCS era with Alabama and LSU making it. So maybe it'll cut down less on the top four, just being like two SEC schools. It won't be that anymore. It would be like, say, Georgia wins the SEC, they'll be the one seed. Clemson wins the ACC, they'll be the two. Uh, Utah wins the Pac-12. Ohio State wins the four. And then you'll have now the five through 12. One of those will be your guaranteed uh you know, group of five, your highest group of five. So this year would have been Tulane, and then the rest of that would have just been the rest of the highest ranks. So that's what I love about it. Like I mentioned, I love the campus sites as well, just the environments you have, especially when you have in December. If you're traveling to, like, say, like the the Middle East or the Northeast, it's probably going to be a blizzard. It's going to be looking like Buffalo when Josh Allen is is playing against the Bengals like we saw this past season. Though. So we're not only get the weather elements. I mean, the environments is what I'm definitely excited for. You know, we always have these sellouts when you have these big-time games. Just imagine, you know, it's a win-or-go-home scenario, just the environment that you have. It's probably going to be the loudest environment. So I definitely agree with that. Uh, we'll see, you know, if March Madness does this. Maybe, you know, I love what the women's game does. You know, they have the top four seats in each region they host not only the round one, but also round two as well. So I think that gives you an advantage in itself as well. You know, your home court advantage is definitely key in postseason play. Uh, so I think that we're definitely going to have some upsets. Maybe you see a 12 over five, who knows, uh, but it's definitely going to create more parity. And all in all, it's going to give more games uh, on TVs and more games uh, to put butts in the seats uh, as well. So I think it's going to be good not only for the TV revenue, but also for the campuses that are hosting this as well. I mean, the merchandise sales go up, the, the drinks, foods go up, everything goes up. So I think that uh, college football is definitely going to be booming in the next couple of years. Uh, so we're going to keep it on college football talk. Uh, we had some transfer news come out this week. Very surprising one as well. I did not see this as Michigan State's quarterback, Peyton Thorne, leaves the Big Ten and goes to the SEC and joins Hugh Freeze. After days, after literally days, TJ Finley uh, is back in the transfer portal as well. Uh, so if you want to shed some light on that, where you could see uh, Finley ended up. Uh, if you don't know about TJ Finley, he started out at LSU. Then after the COVID uh, season, uh, he transferred to Auburn. And uh, after that, Auburn has been through like three head coaches in the past like five years. Uh, so we'll see what Auburn does with Hugh Freeze. Uh, but with this, uh, Peyton Thorne has got to be the QB1 in your eyes. Yeah, this was a targeted move. Some may even say that this was a facilitated move because this all happened very quickly. You got a guy who I think was the Big Ten freshman of the year two seasons ago or during the COVID year. And then he, he didn't have the greatest year last year. And I did hear that there was some sort of conflict between him and Jalen Reed who just got drafted by the Packers and and on Jalen Reed's side people were saying hey why did this guy get drafted 
so high in the draft we've never heard of him well he came out and his camp came out and said yeah that's because the quarterback play was bad I mean this guy had all the metrics to be a good NFL receiver so we'll see if that's true or if Peyton Thorne wasn't the problem but um I like the move for Auburn go get a guy who's more proven than anybody you have on the roster I think Robbie Ashford could still win this job um but I don't think that he was good enough to just roll into the season with him as the undisputed starter. And I think that in today's day of college football, there's not going to be many guys that are an undisputed starter. You're always looking to build. So uh, I think it's a good move for Auburn. And on the TJ Finley side, uh, I think he's coming home. I think he's going to end up at Southeastern Louisiana. I think he'll kind of wait into the fall and see if he can get anything at the power five level, but more realistically, the group of five level. And I think that when it's all said and done, he's going to end up in the FCS. He's from Ponchachula, which is right outside of Hammond. So um, oddly enough, they've had a knack for getting guys into the NFL through undrafted free agent contracts. So the pathway is there. Uh, Their current starter just left so i could see him going there and just trying to put up big numbers and enticing a a team to take a shot on him yeah that would definitely make sense as well i know that they you know we've seen the sec pipeline back uh, to the southland conference we saw arkansas's quarterback cole kelly he's now playing either in the usfl or the xfl i don't know which one it is Uh, both leagues are pretty similar uh but you know i could definitely see that uh he's from around that area and i think that if he puts up good numbers uh, he could definitely uh, be either an undrafted free agent uh, coming into next year's draft or uh, he can be a, a late round draft uh, and be a sneaky flyer. But I definitely think that with Payne Thorne, you know, if you get him this late, you know, you're past the spring game and now you're going to go in into your summer practices and leading up into the fall camp. And, you know, Robbie Ashford, he did good uh, for uh, Auburn during his freshman year, but a guy like Payne Thorne, he has some experience uh, under his belt. Uh, so I think that Hugh Freeze is definitely going to go with the experience as well. And then after that, whenever Thorne and el- eligibility is done, then maybe we'll see Ashford go in. Uh, but I think that Hugh Freeze was definitely the right hire for them. You'll definitely see a higher-powered offense as well. Uh, you saw the offense uh, really get lost uh, in, in the past two seasons under Harson. Uh, but I think that Hugh Freeze is going to revive that. And he definitely has some SEC experience of uh, being the head coach at Ole Miss under his tenure. Uh, so we'll continue on. We'll keep it in the SEC football reign. As we've had an interesting quote, and this is very bold. I mean, this is B-O-L-D bold. This is Andy Jean, Florida wide receiver on Graham Mertz, who sucks at Wisconsin, and yet he thinks, I feel he's another Joe Burrow. I mean, this is just the most bizarre comment I have ever seen. So is Mertz going to be the next Joe Burrow? I'm sure that's no. No, I mean, I get that he's saying he has some hidden potential, but the thing with Joe Burrow was he just he didn't win the job at Ohio state, but he didn't win the job because he lost it to Dwayne Haskins, who went on to set the season uh, single season record for Ohio state passing yardage and touchdowns. And, and before that it was JT Barrett, who was a four-year starter. So Burrow didn't have a shot, you know, Graham Mertz had his shot. He was the number one recruit. He backed away from going to, I think it was, Gosh, who was it out of high school? I think it was Notre Dame, maybe out of high school. He didn't go there because he didn't he didn't want to get pushed for the competition. So he goes to Wisconsin, who is dismal at quarterback play historically. Um and he can't even hold on to the job there. So 
I don't think so. I think that he got lucky to get another power five shot. Florida went all in to try to get some other quarterback recruits. Hell, they got their Joe Burrow last year and Jack Miller. He was the one that sat the bench at Ohio State. And <laughs> but the difference is he couldn't win the job at Florida. I I just don't really get this quote at all. I know that he's you're the wide receiver. He's your quarterback. You're going to speak highly on him. But to go he that wants low, the ball. <laughs> to go that high, yeah, he's definitely going to get the ball after this quota. But we'll see if Mertz can live up to the billing. But after his two years at Wisconsin, I did not see even close to Burrow S. Not even close. Probably if I had to give him like, well, I don't even want to say Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was good at quarterback. I don't know. I don't really have any quarterbacks to compare Graham Mertz. Uh, we'll definitely uh, have to wait and see uh, what the Gators uh, do. Uh, but we're going to stay in the SEC. We're going to do something quick here. We're going to do a little quick fire SEC win totals over under. We're going to do the, the couple of top teams here that I see on the list. Uh, so the back-to-back national champions, uh, their over under win total is 11 and a half. So Georgia, are you going to go over or under on 11 and a half? Uh, I'm going to go over because they'll definitely get to the SEC championship game. And I think they could get to 12 wins. Yeah, I think it's pretty much a lock. I mean, I just don't really see anybody in the East uh, even come close to them. And I don't know if you saw uh, Georgia's upcoming schedule, but it's pretty easy. I mean, they're not on conference games. Uh, they don't really have any of top power five uh, programs as well. And the SEC as well, their schedule really sets up nicely for them. I mean, they're going to – I mean, their defense as well, we saw the same question. They're going to be uh, returning back some key starters as well, but they're also going to be losing a lot of guys. And on the offense, uh, they're going to be losing sets of Bennett. But they're still going to be bringing back Brock Bowers and some of their top receivers as well. Uh, and then they also uh, got uh, Rob Rob Thomas, the wide receiver from Mississippi State, and also uh, Dominic Lovett, uh, the Missouri transfer as well. So this Georgia team, I'm going to go undefeated again. I think that that's pretty – I would be shocked if they even lose one game. So I think that 12 and 0 is right on the line with them. So the next team that is on the list is Alabama. They're at 10 and a half wins after the Bryce Young era. So do you see 10 and a half wins for the tie? That's tricky because Vegas is giving you one loss. You know, you gone are the days where you have to say Alabama's going to go undefeated. So that's assuming they'll go 11 and 1, but do they go 10 and 2? That's a that's a tough one. Uh, you got to assume that Tennessee is going to be a pretty good team this year, but that game is in Tuscaloosa. Yep. You got to assume the LSU game is going to be good, but that one's also in Tuscaloosa. So I'm going to give Alabama the 11 and one. I think that Nick Saban uh, kind of fires back, and I don't think it's going to be the prettiest 11 and one. Um, I think they're a good ways off the pace of where Georgia is, but for now, I'm going to give them the 11 and one, uh, but it, it could shift to 10 and two if I think about it. I think that the narrative going in this one, there's a lot of talent on this team. There's just not a whole lot of experience in this one. You know, the, without Bryce Young now, they went out and got Notre Dame transfer Tyler Buckner. So is it going to be Jalen Milrow or is it going to be Buckner? Who knows? I mean, whenever I saw Buckner on the field, especially against Marshall, uh, it was not good. We saw Milrow play a couple of games this week, especially – against Arkansas, and then he had uh, the game against Texas A&M while Young, while Young was hurt as well. And Alabama had a very a lot of close calls uh, this season, even with, you know, Jameer Gibbs in the backfield. Their wide receiver play has to get better. I mean, Jermaine Burton, he's looked good in the spring game, so we'll see if he can turn the corner as well. 
Um, also, uh, Henry Toa Toa as well. So I'm going to go under in this one. I think this is a team that goes 10 and 2. I think a lot of people are saying 8 and 4 or 9 and 3. There is no mm-hmm. way in heck that I see a Nick Saban led team not even get to nine wins. I'm going to go 10. I, it's 10 and a half. If this was like a like 10, 10, it would be like, a, I guess, like I have to go over and have it to be an even. But since it's 10 and a half, I'll go under, give the two losses to Alabama. I'm not going to say the two losses. I think it could come really anywhere. I think that the SEC West is it's definitely going to be up for grabs. It's not as like pick and choose like, oh, yeah, Alabama is going to be the sure favorite. LSU is going to be the sure favorite. I think there's going to be a couple of surprises. Who do the they West. play in the East? Um, I think they play like Missouri or somebody like that. I don't I don't think think it's very anything formal. But now we'll go to the next one on the list. We'll do one more. Uh, LSU, nine and a half wins. I'll take the over there as well. Um, I think that LSU either goes 10 and 2 or 11 and 1. Uh, so I, I like the over there. I like the over there as well. I think they can, if they can go 10, get 10 wins this past season uh, under year one, I think that they're going to, this is going to be a more talented LSU team. They have more experience, especially on the offensive line. Those were freshmen. Like their whole entire line was pretty much freshmen. And now they have a full season under them. Jane Daniels, what you saw from him in the spring game. You're getting Harold Perkins. I think that the defense, if there is going to be concerned, it's going to be in the secondary as well. Uh, so we'll do one more team. We'll go for Gamecocks, six and a half wins. <laughs> this one's always tough because you think, oh, yeah, this team is a seven-win team. And then you look at the schedule and there's a lot of toss-ups. But I'll give them that seven wins. I think they get it. Um, I think they can handle their out-of-conference. UNC will be a tough game to start the season, but if they win that one, I think they they get the seven wins, and heck, I mean, they get Clemson at home even. Yeah, that North Carolina game uh, could be really a, a, a toss turf of, uh, you know, if they win that game, that could be set up for an eight-win, nine-win season, but if they lose that game, that could be a difference between a couple of wins, uh, especially in the gauntlet they have to run through in the SEC East, so they'll face Georgia. They have to go on the road to Georgia, uh, so that's probably going to be a loss, and they get Tennessee as well on the road. So that's going to be another hostile crowd and they're going to want revenge after South Carolina destroyed them this season. And then Clemson game, you get them at home. So, you know, that's going to definitely be a couple of, I'm going to go over as well. I think this is a seven, eight win team. I don't think there's going to be more than that. Uh, you know, this team always gets a couple of upsets every now and then. I mean, shoot, this could be a team that goes on the road and beats Georgia. Probably not, uh, but this is always a team that pulls off an upset. We saw this past year, uh, with top uh, 10 wins back-to-back with Tennessee and South Carolina. But our college football talk was presented by our friends over at SeatGeek. And obviously, the college football season, if you want to start looking at tickets, SeatGeek is definitely the app for you. Live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena or the stadium is a priceless experience. That's where our friends at SeatGeek are there to find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you go get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Concerts, we've got the Hangout Fest coming in, uh, out on uh, you know Gulf Shores. We've got the Taylor Swift concert. I mean, there's just so many concerts going on. So it's not only sports. It's definitely other good shows as well. Uh, so if there's any local events going on, SeatGeek is definitely that for you. And now you can save with the promo code BellyUpSports. Visit SeatGeek.com. Enter promo code at checkout. And you can save up to $20 off your for first purchase. And if you already did your first purchase, well, then create a burner email or something. Seat Geeks, <laughs> life's an event. We have the tickets. All right. 
So that closes the book on our college football talk, and we're going to go right back to the diamond. We talked about SEC baseball and college baseball to begin with, and now we're going to start to wind the show down uh, before we get to our NASCAR Neil coverage on what looked like an MMA fight off uh, (laughs) off of the race. Uh, So I'm definitely interested to see uh, what our loyal uh, listener to the show has to say to that but let's get into some hot and your cold yes we're diving into katie perry here hot and your cold <laughs> baseball teams here and like wade mentioned i was definitely uh, curious uh, to talk about these teams because the two past videos that we put out on youtube was the rays uh, they got off to a little bit of a losing streak but now that they're back on it but the pirates ever since we created a video uh, they have the fallen glit, off the- they have it's fallen a curse. off the cliff, it seems like. They're back uh, to their Pittsburgh Pirate ways, uh, but hopefully they can get back on track. I mean, it's not like they fell off a cliff or anything. They're still first in the NL Central as well. Uh, but let's talk about the Braves. They are now 24-11. They have a seven-game lead already in the NL. If you're a Braves fan, you're like, what the heck is going on? Usually we're like 10 games under 500. We're already like, like last year, for instance, you're like at this point, you're like 14-18. and 18. Trailing the Mets by 10 games, and you had that guy on the Mets network say, like, oh, the NL East is over, and, you know, no one's going to touch them. And then the Braves <laughs> win it, and now this season, uh, you know, coming off of a two out of three victory over the Baltimore Orioles, which is another team that I think that could be playoff bound as well. They got some young talent, Gunnar Henderson, Cedric Mullins, Ali Rutschman. The list goes on and on. Uh, so really good series victory for the Braves, uh, and, uh, you know, what's sticking out to you for this Braves team? You know, you're seeing a guy like Bryce Elder come out of nowhere and be one of the leaders in ERA and all of MLB. Spencer Strider, uh, you know, fear the stash. Uh, he's throwing strikeouts left and right. Max Freed has a little shaky start. That was first start coming off of an injury. And then the offense continuing to rake. You're seeing Matt Olson uh, play really good baseball. Ron Lacuna is chasing for that 40-40 mark again. And you're also seeing guys, uh, Michael Ayers is stepping out. And then you also see Marcel Azuna. That guy was hitting like not even 100. Now all of a sudden he's hitting home runs to the chop house. Uh, so what are your early thoughts uh, on this Atlanta Braves team? And can they keep it up uh, and, you know, claim another NL East pennant? Yeah, I have uh, a couple of main takeaways from it. And uh, the first one is Alex Anthopoulos does not miss. I mean, every no. Braves fan – including myself, was very butthurt about uh, Freddie Freeman, you know, basically getting told to go sign with Los Angeles. And, you know, then we see it again with um, with Dansby Swanson. And then the one that made no sense to me was uh, trading away William Contreras after he had an all-star season. I thought he had a good chance at developing into a big league catcher. His brother is a big league catcher. Well, now – Sean Murphy has been absolutely the best catcher in baseball. William Contreras has been really good for the Brewers, but I would much rather have Sean Murphy. And Wilson Contreras just lost his job as the catcher of the Cardinals. So maybe that just shows that um, Alex Anthopoulos didn't believe in the long-term vision of Contreras at, at, at catcher. So he didn't have time to develop a catcher at this point. He had to go get a guy that could help this team contend right away. And Sean Murphy has really elevated his game, just like we saw Matt Olson do a year ago. So um, Anthopolis just dives into the metrics. He sees guys that are on the verge of breaking out and he buys them for the cheap and he makes them look like geniuses. So 
Uh, pretty good guy to have locked up for the next eight years. And Murphy. And then uh, Acuna, he's getting it done in a, a way that he hasn't in the years past. Yes, we know the guy's ridiculously fast, but he's winning games off of his defense and off of stealing bases. There for a little bit, it kind of looked like his game was shifting towards hitting the ball at the ballpark and nothing else. So I'm really impressed to see him um, already be among the league leaders in stolen bases. And I think the power will come, but maybe this guy isn't a 40 home run a year guy. Maybe he's a 25 to 30 home run year guy that can steal you 30 to 40 bases easily. Maybe he can steal you 50 bases. So um, I'd rather see that kind of Ronald Acuna. And then the pitching, you touched on it. Spencer Strider has really developed himself into an ace. I, I kind of saw him t- taking a step back. I thought his stuff was really good but i thought hitters would catch on in year two and they really haven't and then bryce elder has gone from being the the number five starter to probably the third best starter on this team so um just instant success for him kind of the season we saw kyle wright have a year ago yeah i think that we're seeing really good strides uh, with Strider as well, no pun intended, uh, this season. Uh, but, you know, like you mentioned, Ronald Acuna last year uh, coming off of the ACL injury, he just didn't really look like himself. You know, I don't think that knee was fully healthy. And now I think that you're starting to see a fully healthy Ronald Acuna. And that's going to be uh, scary uh, going forward. And I think that if uh, AA, uh, you know, does uh, – the Braves aren't really going to be active in the free agency, but there is some glaring holes uh, in the bullpen. The bullpen has been a little shaky at times. They were able to get the job done uh, this past weekend against the Orioles. You know, they did uh, lose Kenley Jansen in the offseason, uh, but they're – you know, Rossiel Iglesias, uh, he started the season on the IL. They just got him back, uh, so that's definitely going to be – who's going to be the guy that's, uh, that's going to step in as well. You got guys like A.J. Minter. And the bullpen as well. You got um, uh, Colin McHugh as well. And then you also got 40-year-old uh, Jesse Chavez as well, <laughs> rocking his uh, design uh, hats as well. Uh, so I think that the Braves, you know, it's definitely uh, – definitely it's got to be a different feel uh, if you're an Atlanta Braves fan. Uh, to be at 24 and 11, uh, to get out of the gates hot, because usually this team, like I mentioned, I mean – or so at this time of the year, they're usually hovering around 500. Uh, so to be 13 games over 500. Uh, so we'll see if uh, Hotlanta can keep it up all the way into uh, October. So we're going to continue with the hot teams, and that is the Boston Red Sox. And this was a team that had some question marks going into the year, especially with Xander Bogarts uh, going to the Padres. They did add Justin Turner. They're, you know, into the mix. Uh, they still have Rafael Devers. Devers is one of the young, uh, good players. You know, everyone wants to talk about Juan Soto and all those guys. But I think that Rafael Devers gets lost in the mix. I think he's just really consistent. They got Alex Verdugo. They got all these young talent as well. I think that they're starting to piece it together. Their pitching is also, uh, you know, they dealt with some injuries in the past couple of years. They added some uh, stars uh, in the bullpen as well. Uh, the Red Sox coming into the series against the Phillies, they won. Uh, nine straight. They didn't end up winning the series against the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies won one out of the three games uh, this past weekend. So the Red Sox currently sit at 21 and 15. They're still uh, back, still in third place in the AL East, a loaded AL East. I mean, it's the Rays are just running away with the division right now. But you got to feel good if you're a Red Sox fan uh, where you sit at. 21 and 15, your rival is right behind you. The Yankees 
are having a slow start to the year uh, with injuries. Uh, but are the Red Sox, uh, you know, are you buying into them at this early in the season, or do you see this team uh, falling off uh, in the stands in the AL East? Uh, I, I just think the AL East is so good. And yeah. right now you're seeing the Rays get off to a, a huge start, but they've played some of the weaker series so far. They played the Athletics. They played – I think they played the Royals. They, they played the Tigers. So um, I think their record will begin to level out. And then conversely, the Yankees, they should get better. And I think the Blue Jays and Orioles will continue their pace as well. So I kind of see that squeezing Boston out. Um, I certainly don't think they're a seller dweller. Um, I think they could probably contend and maybe win the AL Central. But given their placement in the East, I see them dropping off. I do think three teams will make the playoffs from that division. So if they can kind of scrap with uh, Baltimore and, and Toronto, who knows? They could be a sneaky wildcard team. But I just don't like the placement uh, that they're in in the East. Yeah, I just think that if you're going to compare this, this is like the SEC West of baseball. I mean, the, all these teams are just going to beat up on each other. I think that the the two teams that are definitely going to make it, I think that the Rays are ultimately going to win the division. I know that I'd say the, the Blue Jays, but I don't think that anyone's going to slow down the Rays. I mean, they're just too hot off to start. Their offense is clicking. I just looked over Shane McClanahan and all those pitching staff. I should have just went with the Rays, uh, you know, can't ever bet against the Rays. They're just very consistent, uh, especially with the, under their manager, Kevin Cash. They've really been consistent as well. So I agree with you. I think that the Red Sox are off to a surprising start, uh, you know, like the Pirates. You know, the Cubs are also off to a surprising start as well. But I think that the Red Sox are going to play their way out of it. You know, I'd love to see this Red Sox team, you know, defeat all odds in this one. A lot of people didn't really see it in this team. I uh, had them last place in this division. So if they were able to turn around, that would definitely be one of the stories as well. Uh, but we'll keep it uh, in the AL East. I will go to the cold teams, and that's the New York Yankees. I don't think that anyone had this team uh, hovering around 500 right now. They're 18 and 17, but Aaron Judge has been on the IL. Uh, we got a report today that he's going to be back on Tuesday, so that's definitely good news if you're a Yankees fan. Uh, so uh, what are the issues uh, that you're seeing uh, with the Yankees? Let's go ahead and couple the Mets as well. They're 17 and 18 as well. The season didn't even start. They already lost Edwin Diaz as well. I know we talked about that whenever it happened around the World Baseball Classic. Their offense has been really sluggish. Uh, you know, the Rocky series they lost, you know, they their offense didn't really squeak out any run. And this, the series before that uh, against the Braves, they had that game one in the doubleheader uh, where they put up six runs. But after that, the you know, this, they went out and got uh, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, and everybody's thinking like, oh, this is going to fix the pitching problems. Well, it doesn't look like that because uh, they're still letting up a ton of runs uh, every game. Uh, so if you're picking between the two, uh, who's going to figure out the, the fastest, the Mets or the Yankees? I think the Yankees are going to figure out the fastest because they have the better overall team, and they got some really talented young guys at the forefront. Um they just have had more of an injury bug with their pitching staff. I feel like uh, I think they have the better bullpen as well. Uh, the Mets, I think that it's the same kind of s stuff that got them last year. I mean, okay, yes, you sub Justin Verlander in for Jacob deGrom. Right now, it's hard to judge that move because Verlander hasn't made an impact on the Mets uh, because of an injury. And Max Scherzer is almost 40 years old. So these guys are going to show 
a little bit of regression here and there. They're still going to be dominant starters, but every now and then they're they're going to get roughed up. And I just don't think the Mets made enough offensive additions to this this lineup. I mean, look at the Braves lineup. Look at the Mets lineup. It just pales in comparison. Uh, they're going to need to make some moves to add an extra power bat to this lineup. Uh, you got guys like Dan Volgacek as your or Vogelback as your uh, primary DH, and then Brett Beatty is kind of starting to show his promise as a as a young prospect, but still hasn't completely beat out like Eduardo Escobar. So uh, Mark Canna, Cahana is starting in left field. So it's, there's just not a huge, like, I don't know. They just don't have a lot of star power on this team, if that makes sense, beyond Pete Alonso. Yeah, I think if they want to get back into contention, they have to be buyers. I mean, they got to get some more offense in this one, like you mentioned. Uh, they're just signing enough firepower in this one. You know, you got guys like Lindor, you got Marte. In the middle order, you got Pete Alonzo as well. You got Nimmo leading it off as well. So you got guys that can produce in that one, but you also have guys that just can't really do anything as well. But out of the two, if I would have had to really, you know, buy into it, it had to be the Yankees as well. It's just like the, the pure talent. There's like no way that this team is not going to make the playoffs with the talent that they have. I think that they have one of the best pitchers in the game, Garrett Cole. He's off to a phenomenal start. They got Nestor Cortez. That's their one-two punch. Uh, so they just got to, you know, figure it out. They got to get through this injury bug as well. That's really what's hurting uh, this ball club. Uh, but I think that if I had to pick between the two, it would definitely be the Yankees uh, to figure it out. Uh, but I did not see both of the New York teams hovering around 500. Uh, but we'll see what happens. But the last team that we're going to talk about that's off to a really rough start, and it's worse start than the Yankees and the Mets, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. 11-24. After Yachty era and after the Pulos era, it is just not a good sign for the Cardinals as they are dead last in the NL Central. The Pirates, the Cubs, the Brewers are all ahead of them. And who would have thought that the Pirates would be ahead of the, the Cardinals and by a very wide margin? They have a nine. Uh, they're up nine games in this one. And it's going to have to take, honestly, a miracle in this one. They're already 13 games back. I think that the Brewers are going to ultimately catch up and potentially pass the Pirates. Uh, that's probably going to be a 90-plus win team. Uh, so the Cardinals, I don't think, have enough offense to go far in this one. I think that the Cardinals' offense has been suspect. I mean, you got Nolan Arenado. I get that. You got Paul Goldschmidt. But outside of that, I mean, you got guys that are stepping up. You know, Brendan Donovan has been good. He's had a good couple of good young years as well. You signed Wilson Contreras, but like you mentioned, he's not even the starting catcher anymore. So things are slowly going downhill. So it's looking like this Cardinals, you know, this not really going to call it a dynasty, but this has really been one of the more consistent, you know, teams in the MLB. And now all of a sudden they've fallen flat on their face. Uh, so this is definitely a surprising start. Absolutely. I mean, I, I thought this looked like one of the more complete teams. I was a little, um suspicious of the starting pitching i thought they might need one or two more guys um in that regard but uh this should be one of the best lineups in baseball you had jordan walker coming up he's baseball's top prospect he wasn't ready for the mlb that's okay uh certainly don't let him develop in the environment that is in st louis right now or else he might be a huge bust so let him sort it out but Beyond that, I mean, there was a surplus of options in the outfield. 
Um, you have a really interchangeable infield with Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, and uh, Brendan Donovan. And then if Jordan Walker were to assert himself, he would probably be the starting third baseman of the future. I mean, starting, I guess he'd have to play outfield because of Nolan Arenado. But, um, you know, but that's a good problem to have, right? That your top third baseman prospect has to move positions because you have an all-star third baseman. So uh, for this team to be offensively as bad as they are is inexcusable. So I, I don't know if that's a individual thing for each player if it's a an approach thing for the team but they got to get it figured out in a hurry i mean i think that the pirates and the reds and the cubs will regress around them but if i'm the milwaukee brewers i'm gonna just try to go all in and you know just don't even let it get to the trade deadline and 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 make some moves to just really put this division away yeah i mean if they make some moves i mean they they got the best starting rotation in the mlb it's not even close here and guy like corbin burns brandon woodruff is your one and two it's not gonna be if you get to a postseason i mean like i mentioned you get to the postseason you got the best starting rotation you know the one two what's been the brewers you know kryptonize the offense you know once it gets to the months of september and october the offense fades so i think adding a couple more bats they did in the offseason like you mentioned adding the one of the Contreras brothers. Uh, so I'm sure this is going to be a weekly segment of the hot and cold MLB teams because we could see one of these teams, you know, like the Yankees from now, they're 18 and 17, but at the, you know, the all-star break, they could be at 50 wins. So who knows? But before we end the show, uh, we got NASCAR Neil joining us, our buddy. He's not only going to talk about the race, but some extracurricular activities. Literally. Doing good. <laughs> Good to hear. All, All right. right. Well, that's what I'm talking about saying. Yesterday's race at Kansas was everything you want out of a race. In my opinion, it was probably the best race we've seen all year, if not the last two years. There were comers and goings, cars that start out fast that faded throughout the race. There was tire wear, which I've which I've said to you guys off off air a lot of times. You know that tire wear makes tire wear makes a good race. When you have to opt to take tires, not take tires, different situations. When a car who opts for tires uh, off cycle, they can, can move on the field. There was a moment mid race where Truex pit after only about 10 laps on his tire after a, a untimely caution. It dropped him towards the back of the field. He marched over back up the field pretty easily, kind of showed it mattered. There were situations where people at the end of stage two, a couple of people tried to stay, tried to stay out with, with the late caution, try to get the stage points there. It paid off for Joey Logano, who's been on a struggle lately. He had an awful week last week and I mean, he's been fast. He's a reigning champion, but been struggling. Uh, and really, I will say the last 20 laps of that race was probably some of the best racing you can find. It was Denny Hamlin versus Kyle Larson to powerhouse sport. Uh, Hamlin's crew chief even said after the race that it was fun watching them battle what is arguably one of the best racers in the country. This man pops in. He hop in any kind of car dominates with it uh but true talent and they battled really hard and he created some controversy in the last lap coming out of two uh larson had a situation where he had a ride right on the wall to have any control just where his car was set up he's a dirt racer he likes to run against the wall and this track kind of favored that style and allowed him his setup to lean to where he ran the high line all day long and used the wall to help add stability and coming out of two in the last lap as Hamlin was catching him on his on his uh, on his left rear, 
he got a little loose and Hamlet tapped him, but and like, oh, he potentially wrecked him, blah, blah. Larson was loose going into that. It, it, it tipped him the wall, but allowing him to make the pass. And again, you know, even, even Hamlin said this morning on his show, he does like in this era of NASCAR where it is when you're in the playoffs, you got to fight, make those moves all day long if you want to win a championship, which Hamlin is arguably the greatest current driver who's never won a championship. He's been so close many times. Is now at 49 wins and yet to win a cup championship. And it was a great win for him. And it's now two in a row for Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing. You know, it's it was a pretty good race all around. Like, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the whole thing. I was out doing stuff, but I caught the highlights and was listening along, you know. And it's, for once, a race that I'm going to go back and watch. I don't watch a lot of recent races. I'll go back and watch some famous ones of the year. But this is what I'm definitely going to make a point to go back and watch the whole thing and see really what occurred in it. So what do you think led to so, – It was fun. It's it it fun to seeing what happened and, and listening to some stuff I listen to, the people I, in the sport I follow, you know, hear what they had to say. and Everyone spoke highly of it. You know, it's – so, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, I'm really – I mean, it's what you want to see with this. It's a mile and a half track in this package going into this next set of races. We're really setting up for our next month of racing. Next week we're at Darlington, which is arguably one of the toughest track in the series, mile and a half. It's in it's in Wade's homestead, South Carolina. A lot of grit, tires wear out, and then the All Star race at a track that hasn't had a race on it, hasn't had a Cup race on it since the '90s. You know, still it's in all service. So what a period we're going to be in a lot of tough, weary tracks. So I'm excited to see what happens. Do you think that some of this conflict that we've seen driven up between two teams or specifically just two drivers, do you think that will continue um, over the next couple of weeks? Is there going to be any sort of retaliation that could uh, affect the playoff standings? Uh, I or don't they know just Because it is a long season, you know, and, and again, you know, once you're locked in to, I mean, once you win, you're ultimately locked in unless we have more than 16 winners, which is yet to happen, you know, and, and as you're alluding to in, in last year, we had a lot of issues involving Ross Jack's team, which I will get to in a minute, you know, from yesterday's incident, you know, he caused a lot of problems all last year. You know, him and Denny Hamlin, especially yesterday's race winner, got into it all year long last year. And even Denny raced him extra hard and put him in, and tried to wreck him earlier in the year at Phoenix. You know, and it's and you'll it's just hard racing and stuff. And and as you got alluded to, what happened was after yesterday's race, Noah Gragson went up to to confront to 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 uh, confront Ross Chastain, and they got a little showy match and exchanged punches. It was very entertaining, and it's it's very entertaining that Ross Chastain is is the one that brings people outside the sport who hear about things. Like I know you guys don't follow closely, you on their inner hockey. But whenever you guys text me, said, "Oh, I saw that fight," I'm like, "Yeah, you know, it's kind of moment." And last year, he had the famous wall ride at Martinsville, which is everywhere. You know, when I see non NASCAR media covers like that, I'm like, it's kind of good because they say, you know, there is no bad publicity. You know. And there was, and it sticks with you. I picked him to do that, quite know, well in your tournament. Out there but, to those who you know, and I alluded to Trey yesterday. So he asked me for the update. You know, I usually send it to you guys. So I was like, it's like, I need to go back and understand what happened at it. And it turns out Noah Gregson, uh, two weeks ago, Talladega, after I was on, you know, I mentioned that uh, late race, I think, I think it was the last lap of the green, of the initial green flag runs going to overtime, that uh, Ross slid in behind Noah in a tight spot and, and caused a wreck and took him out. And apparently Noah had confronted him on the plane last plane that night after the race and said, Hey, we're gonna if we're gonna help you all day long, you know, I want you know, you should give a little here, you know, and that and they and they had a run in during the race yesterday. And 
And apparently, a lot of the drivers after that happened, they were all congratulating Noah for having the for actually willing to go and do it. You know, Chase Elliott famously said stuff, "Hey, you should go fight him," and then he went and tried to fight him. Speaking of Chase so. Elliott, he kind of uh, is back on the on his game. You know, he missed a couple weeks, like oh, you texted me earlier uh, today, and all of a sudden he seems to be a force to be reckoned with um, as the season rolls on. Yeah, I mean, he he did miss five weeks from his from his knee injury he had after uh, uh, after after the after Fontana, you know, skiing and Josh Bray filled in, you know, but uh, he's I mean he's the reigning most popular driver. He's had that title since Dale Jr. retired. It's kind of with his personality, you know, and you know he even has come publicly. But again, it's it's a big issue right now in the sport is when you're when your sports driven on sponsorship dollars, you don't want to alienate any sponsors and make them mad. So it's like, it's, it's something that can be harmful to speak out, but he's willing to speak out a little more now, you know, he's in a good place with a powerhouse team, but I mean, it's going to be fun to see what comes of this, you know, will more people be willing to do it. You know, NASCAR is not likely to find any of the, either of them because last year when, uh, when Austin Hill fought, uh, punched, uh, another driver that's many series that they came out of, you know, so it's, not likely anything to come out of it, but again, we'll wait and see. It's NASCAR. You never know what they're going to do. How's your um, your Denny Hamlin bracket looking, Neil? Uh, I have I had uh, twelve people win yesterday. Kyle Busch wrecking early in the race kind of messed me up, and I didn't think Elliott was going to come out that strong, and he beat Truex by one position, which drives me crazy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I had Truex spot. winning the whole thing, so I'm not a fan of that. Uh, uh, I had I had Truex going far in one of mine. But I did two of them because I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do two because I have two emails. Like, I'm gonna throw one, throw a second one out there. But then, but then uh, Briscoe just had a terrible setup. He was awful all day, and I had him being Suarez. But Suarez has been so hot, hot and miss. But I'm excited this week though. Denny Hamlin versus Ross Chastain in this year, this week's matchup, and that's how the bracket. That's gonna be fun to see. I got but, Hamlin. Yeah, I, the, I, uh, aggressive Ross Chastain. Yeah, I do. I do too. Oh, and I'm also excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm also excited though. This weekend is throwback weekend. Every year when we go back to Darlington, they do throwback schemes to, to old 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 schemes and old styles, you know, to pay out homage to different drivers, old drivers, you know. Yes, they should be doing it at the Southern 500 in the fall, but that's a playoff race and sponsors want their regular stuff on there for it. But still, do it at Darlington with the oldest tracks on the, on the on the circuit, you know. And it's a hard track. It's it's a oblong shape. Uh one and two is different size than three and four. By a large margin, it's gonna be That's fun. We you can't know. do math in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's. It, it, I like it because it's also in. It's in Central South Carolina. The sandy soil. The, the the tires wear a lot. You get a lot of that strategy, and you have to set up so differently because one and two are so different. Three and four, you can't balance your car right. You know, it's it's a, it's an issue they have they, they, they have Texas, but on a on a better stair on a better on a harder setup. You know, it's gonna be fun. I'm excited. I love throwback weekend. They like to uh, in the for the broadcast. They bring in old school drivers to do different stages. You know, like Bill Elliott's going to do the third stage. You know, it's it's always fun to watch and, and seeing some of these throwback schemes. You know, some of them look better than others. Some of them look nothing like the original scheme, and you have to show the one they're trying to base it off next to it. You know, but it's going to be fun. Then going into uh, North Wilkesboro in two weeks for the All Star Race at this track that hasn't held a race since the since the nineties. You know, where it went away and they. And then Dale Jr. got got them to bring it back to for late models and stuff, whatnot. Then Cup and that's coming back for the All Star event. Should be should be a fun time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then, 
Oh, next and, month you got your uh, your personal trip to. Yes, I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to that. It's gonna be super hot, but it's gonna be fun. You know, have my dad and I go to race. We have not been to a cup race together ever. You know, we used to go to races at National Fairgrounds a little bit when I was a kid. You know, had to go back out there. But other also big news we had though is Ryan Newman, who's a who's a well known driver for for most of the last last 15 years. You know, who retired uh, uh, going to last season and stuff. Uh, who is also more known for his awful wreck at Daytona a few years ago, the 500, where he walked away two days later and no one knew how because it was just an awful wreck at the start-finish line. He's coming back to run the 51 for Rick Ware Racing after Cody Ware has been uh, suspended definitely for some awful things, you know. But it's kind of fun to have him back in there. He's known for being hard to pass, and he's getting in a terrible car. The cars aren't very good, so it's going to be fun seeing these guys try to lap him and him not giving up any room for, for like 30th place. He'll be, he'll be running 30th place and not let the leaders remind him because he does it. Then in other big news that broke this week is legacy motor club, which used to be petty motors, petty enterprises that Jimmy Johnson bought into uh, at, at the end of last year announced they're shifting from Chevy to Toyota going to next year, which is a big deal because Jimmy Johnson, you know, he's famed for Chevy for his seven championships with Hendrick, you know, to go to Toyota where, which is a smart move for both sides because they were a bottom of the totem pole for Chevy. They weren't getting a lot of just support, and they're going to going to going, going to Toyota, adding two more cars to them. But we're going from six cars to eight cars, which will help at the super speedways because where you got to pit with numbers and work with your teammates. And they're moving up in the pegging list where they'll be a a priority partner where they'll be getting a lot more technical support. Any times they find stuff, they'll get more resources from them to help them out because. Because they're not getting much help from Chevy, and they're the bottom of the line. They're they're not really getting much help, as we've seen recently this year, where these lower teams are not getting all the information from 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 the manufacturers. You know, when someone would come out, like with the colleague issues earlier this year, where with the Luber penalty and stuff, where they weren't informed of the issue, where Hendrick was informed for the same exact problem, they weren't informed because they were too low on the list. So it's exciting. You know, it's a lot of people like, oh, Jimmy Johnson's leaving Chevy, but he ran IndyCar for two years with a Honda, so it's like. He's not yeah, as I mean, loyal as he is, you know, but it's still a big deal. And it's it also bounces out where you now have eight, uh, eight, eight uh, Toyotas and I believe eight Fords now, you know, so it's going to be balancing out the field with, with more even manufacturers, which will make, make, you know, make, you know, Talladega, Daytona, Atlanta a little bit next year, more interesting, you know? Yeah. So got to I mean, play with the best equipment for sure. Oh yeah. It's, it is. And it got explained on stuff I listened to this morning, you know, talking about how, how like they were really getting no help and you can kind of see it this year. And it's going to be a struggle for them the rest of the year, because once you announce that move, you're getting almost no support from Chevy for the rest of the year. So they're yeah. going to struggle. <laughs> you know, it, it just is though, but it also two of their, both their drivers, which is uh, Eric Jones, who used to run for, for Joe Gibbs racing several a few years ago and then got, and then got bumped from the seat due to, uh, due to them having other drivers. They wanted to ride there. And Toyota was apparently not very happy when he got bumped from the ride. It's just, Kind of thing, so they're happy to have him back in the stable. Noah Gragson, who drove truck series for KBM at Toyota years ago, and then was at Chevy with with JRM in the last couple of years, and it's been nice to see these guys because they're very talented. I mean, Jones won won Darlington Fall Race last year. He's very talented, and, and with his extra support, will really make him better and hopefully get his team back to what it was. I mean, it's it's the team that was originally founded by by the by the Petties. Like, even though they're not involved anymore, it's still that team, the heritage of that team, you know, in, the, in those numbers, you know, you want to see them fast and good again. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, we appreciate your weekly updates. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll definitely have you on if you know if Jacob and Chet keep uh, missing out on oh, yeah. these episodes. Uh, but oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, always gonna come on. You know, you know. Yeah, uh, I definitely have to come on. Probably have. To, uh, we got Charlotte in a few weeks, which is always a big time fun race. You know, that's always a fun one to watch. It's the longest one of the year, and it's and if it's anything like this race, another mile and a half, same track package. If it's gonna live up to this, but another 200 miles longer, it should be even better than this one. Yep. Well, sounds good. We'll definitely have you uh, you back on whenever the things get going in the NASCAR world, or if you just want to come on and talk sports, because oh, yeah. that's what we'll do. Uh, so anytime, guys. You know that. I'm yep, all, I'm that's gonna be it for us. Uh, that's gonna be it. Uh, so we appreciate everybody listening in to the Sports Grown Podcast, and we will see you all on next week's episode.